At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming up on episode 219 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Jeep Grand Cherokee L, the BMW M5, the Alpina B8, the new F-150 Raptor, updated GMC Sierras, new Mercedes SL, and more. All that coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 219 of Wheelbearings. I'm Sam abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Nicole Wakeland. I'm just going to say my own stuff uh, from NicoleWakeland.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Nicole Wakeland and see all the cool stuff I put up all week. Ha-ha. Excellent. I'm Roberto Baldwin. I'm just going to say Engadget this week because I don't want to step on your your, uh, your, your public... Publicity? Publicity. Sorry, it's early for me. Here well, okay, Coast. what you guys missed was this is our second take doing this because Sam <laughs> forgot, like, who he writes for the first time. <laughs> Sam, I don't know what I'm doing. Sam's like, I'm Sam, I'm... Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Nicole, what have you been driving? Trucks. Just trucks. I'm all trucks all the time right now. What I actually had this week was the Ford F-150 Raptor. And although there's a lot to love about the Raptor, it's Halloween week and the color is code orange metallic. So I legit feel like I'm driving driving like a giant, super powerful, capable pumpkin down the road. Mega pumpkin. Yeah, it's, it's, now I don't know what you would feel like driving a It would be perfect if you're Cinderella. Right? Well, I think Cinderella would be jealous. She'd be like, I got this stinking coach, and she's got a raptor? What did I do wrong? So, um, yeah, it's awesome. I don't know what you're going to do with it the other, like, 11 months of the year, but in October, you are in the moment with this color. Um, So it's a raptor. Everybody knows raptor. Like, it's got this stupidly powerful engine. It's got a 3.5-liter high-output V6, 450 horsepower, 510 pound feet of torque it has all of the off-road goodies you could possibly want to go out into the desert and drive fast and just have some fun um i have not done that in the raptor as we have no desert i have taken it off-road here i was just driving around town which is kind of a wholly different experience we had torrential rain here in new hampshire and i had to drive it about 
an hour and 45 minutes home um, earlier this week at night from an event for New England Motor Press Association. And I was honestly thinking like, okay, this could be torture because big truck, high winds, you know, off-road suspension system, which is notoriously bouncy and unwieldy if you're going, you know, on a highway. It's one thing in the dirt, but on a highway, not so much. Actually, it really went really well. Uh, Considering the number of vehicles that I saw that were not handling the water really well, I thought, okay, this is actually okay. It was good. Uh, Driving around town, it's just fun, although I'm parking in the furthest spot in the parking lot once again because it's so big. I'm afraid (laughs) I'm going to, like, take out lesser vehicles and I won't even notice it. Uh, But I did have fun with this. And there's a couple of features that aren't necessarily necessarily Raptor features. They're just F-150 features. There's two things that I absolutely love. One of them is the power tailgate that you can power it down and power it back up so you don't have to lift it up. Just like click, click, a little little right in the handle, super easy to use. But the coolest thing about the F-150 right now, and everyone's going to be like, there's way cooler things. No, this is the coolest thing, is that <laughs> center console table that deploys when you fold the gear shift down. Yeah, the, you push a little button, the gear shift goes, and it folds completely flat. And then the center console just has a lid that you fold out on top of that. So that entire very large space just becomes a table, whether you're doing work or whether you're just like having a snack on the go. Personally, it's our cookie table because we get cookies every week. Yeah, cookies every week at Crumble Cookies. Mm, My daughter actually calls it that now. She's like, we have a truck with a a cookie table. But it is such a neat neat feature. Like You think of the number of times you're trying to do something real quick in your car and you're balancing stuff haphazardly on a cup holder and around the gear shift, whatever. You have a little table. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but I use that thing like half a dozen times in the week that I've had this truck. So I'm a fan. Uh, The only thing that's, you know, maybe not so much a fan of is fuel economy because it's not the bestest. Oh, I just lost it. I had it and I wrote it down. But you're not going to get, oh, 16 miles per gallon is your combined fuel economy for the Raptor. Given that gas costs, what does it cost where you are now, Roberto? Do you have to sell a liver or a kidney, something like that? It's probably about, near my house is probably between 460 and 480 a gallon. Ouch. So for perhaps... regular or for premium? Because you want oh, premium. premium. In this thing. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm only I only use premium for my okay. cars. So that's they... premium. So okay. you're gonna have to sell a kidney to fuel this thing if you live in California. You might get away with not having to do that in New Hampshire. It's a little bit cheaper here. It's like three dollars and change here still. But as gas prices rise, that's going to hurt. <laughs> so it's not something you necessarily want to take on a long-distance road trip just for that reason. But otherwise, I mean, it's a fantastic truck, and it has style for miles. I mean, people love it, and it has this big, aggressive grill. It has all the things you would want. It's like, I am in an off-road desert racing truck. Look at me. And it's like, oh, okay, I will look, because it, it has all of that. So that's my thoughts. Does it, does it have the fold-down seats, the, uh, the full-flat seats in the front? I, you know, I didn't even play with it. It probably does. I have a million option packages. I don't know. I didn't play with that. I was too busy playing with the <laughs> interior work surface as it's officially listed on this. But you know what I'm going to play with tonight? They ha- yeah. It has the Pro Power on board, and I'm going to use the Pro Power thing. It's Halloween when we're recording this. And we always plug in a little thing in the garage that plays music. I'm going to plug it into the back of the truck and leave it right in the back of the truck in the driveway playing our Halloween music for the trick-or-treaters tonight. So I'm going to make use of that, too. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so... It, it's been it's been probably three or four years since I drove a Raptor, the, the previous generation Raptor. I haven't driven the new one yet. My biggest impression of the previous Raptor was that the suspension felt really soft and kind of mushy. 
and going around corners, there was a lot of body roll and under heavy braking, there was a lot of dive. Yeah, you know, and you know it's great. You know if you're going over you know big boulders and stuff at high speeds, right? But just driving around town, it just kind of felt kind of floppy. How does this one feel by comparison? Yeah, I feel like it's better, but it is still a truck that is <coughs> tuned to be in the dirt. It is not tuned to be on pavement. So when you start going fast, you do notice, like if you're if you're cruising down the highway, even at high speed, you know, yeah, Roberta's doing a great imitation that you guys can't see <laughs> in our little Zoom call. If you if you have uh, uneven pavement or you hit like a little bit like a seam, you will feel it bounce. Like it, you will feel it. You get tossed a little bit. Um, you just have to, it just, it's almost like it just takes a little getting used to as weird as that sounds. You know, if you're driving a sedan all the time, you suddenly climb into this, it feels very unwieldy and huge and sloppy. You drive it for a little bit and you just kind of learn it a little bit and get a little bit more comfortable. I feel like it's better than the old one, but nothing's going to change the fact that this is an off-road truck that's designed to go racing through the dirt and through the desert. And when you're, you know, if you take a corner fast, you get a good bit of body roll. If you hit bumps in the road, it's going to bounce and sway. Um, does it do it to a point that it feels like unsafe or unwieldy in a way that makes me think, oh, I don't want to drive this? No, it's just something you have to be aware of. And I feel like it's one of those compromises you have to make. If you want a truck that is this capable off-road, if you really want this kind of capability, there's a price to be paid. And that means that you're not going to be as comfortable and controlled driving down the highway as you would in just a straight up regular one F-150. Um, but it's nothing that I feel, I feel like it's a fair trade and I do think it's better than the last gen. I think you should, you should have expect you that the if you're getting all wheel drive. What, what have I driven the TRX? Is that who? Yes. Yeah. I have driven the TRX compared to the TRX. Is that what you're going to ask me? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Oh gosh, I have to like head to head. It's been a little bit since I've been in the TRX. You know, the drive that we did with the TRX, they had us on mountain highways and we were going pretty decent highway speeds, you know, I, and, and it was very, those very loopy sort of swoopy, you know, you're going around a highway. When you get really into the swoops, it does the same thing. I think that this does, you, you feel that this is on big tires and big shocks and that it's designed to bounce. So you feel the same thing. I don't, know that I would say one is superior than the other. It's been a little while since I've driven a TRX. I mean, it, it, it's been a good bit. Um, but I don't, I think it's one of those things you'd have to drive, you truly have to drive both where I think the TRX does better though. And I think this is just a Ram thing. The interiors are better. The Raptor has a really nice interior, but if you want a truly stunning interior that is just amazing, Ram has it beat. So if it was like, oh, well, they're both kind of got that off-road sloppiness, then what do you start looking at? I would start looking at interiors and Ram wins. Off-road sloppiness. Fair enough. Off-road sloppiness. That's the thing. <laughs> off-road sloppiness on the highway. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, I, I drove the TRX, I think, in like June or July. And it, it seemed to me, you know, and, and the same is also true of the, um, the Gladiator Mojave. You know, both of them, you know, designed to run at high speeds, you know, the desert. But, uh, you know, they they both seem to have a lot better body control than I remembered from the last Raptor I drove. You know, how, you know, how they, you know, obviously, you know, they're not sports cars by right. any means. But they, they did seem to move around less than than I remember of the Raptor. And that's that's why I'm curious about how the the new Raptor compares both against those as well as the old one. 
Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't enough of a dif- difference that I'm sitting here thinking like, oh yeah, the Raptor is way sloppier than the TRX. It's nothing dramatic. So I suppose I would be really cool to drive them back to back. Maybe I'll get lucky and I'll get a TRX yeah. in my driveway on Monday. Just because it's hard when you don't when you, you have don't weeks really drive them. or yeah, months it, between and cars, in, and you're like, wait, how is this car compared to that car? Right, and you're like, in between, I've driven a hot hatch, a luxury sedan, yeah. and a sports car. Now, what was that truck like four months ago? So it gets a little hard. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely would say it wasn't something where I'm thinking, oh yeah, this Raptor is horrible. This is really <laughs> sloppy compared to the TRX. I think it would be splitting hairs a little bit. I just think the interior, um, the quietness overall, the TRX is is better than what you have in the um, in the Raptor. Yeah, that's, that's the, I think standpoint. Did I you feel say- like the FCA trucks have been a little bit more um, have a nicer ride on the road. Yeah, the Ford trucks. Well, as a whole, I mean, if you were comparing like, yeah. just straight up F one hundred and fifty to a yes. Ram fifteen hundred, Ram wins hands down. It's so much smoother. So someone send smoother. Nicole the TRX right now. Yeah, somebody send me TRX now. FCA now. or not FCA Stellantis. Whoever Stellantis. you are this week. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, we're saying the wrong company. There is no FCA under the sea. So. Yeah, so that was my week in the Ford F one hundred and fifty Raptor Pumpkin Chariot that I had. Um, but then there were, yeah, so that was my vehicle this week. Are we going to talk about the other stuff later? Or are we going to do like all the trucks all at once, Sam? Let, let's let's come back to the other okay, stuff later. Okay, cool. Um, did, also, did you say what the price of the Raptor was? I didn't. There's no price on my Monroney, but the starting price on this one looks on is 64 So okay. I'm going to go with this Ooh. one. I mean, I'm looking at the list of optional equipment that's on here. Uh, this one's probably a good chunk more. I'm going to say at least five to $10,000 <clears> more than that. So it is... It looks amazing. It would be incredible to take this off road and really race it through the desert. But you got to be able to pay for it, and you got to be able to pay for its gas. Oh, uh, I can't. Okay, Roberto, what about you? What have you been driving? So I went to uh, well up until recently because of you know pandemic and all that jazz. Uh, BMW would have this annual test fest where they would bring us out and we would drive a bunch of BMWs both on the track and on the road. And the two vehicles I want to talk about the most, I'm not allowed to talk about yet. Uh, one is the M4 <laughs> uh, Coupe. The other one is the uh, two-series uh, two Coupe. I, I can't talk about them. I drove them. I can't tell you what how it was the drive, but I can say that I drove them. That's uh, So that's that's fun. I did also drive the Alpina B8, um, which I, 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 I love the story of Alpina. Um, I think as coach builders, they're, they're, you know, they, they're essentially making like, you know, something like an M car into something fancy. It's like the Maybach of BMW is Alpina. And the, the fun story is that they kind of, they started as a typewriter company. <laughs> so if you ever go to Germany and you have a chance to go and they let you tour it, I got to, a chance to tour it a few years ago. There are typewriters, Alpina typewriters you can like look at and take pictures of. And that's what I did. <laughs> A few years ago when I went to Germany and toured the Alpina uh, factory. Uh, but the B8 is uh, an amazing vehicle. It is it is big. It is expensive. It is beautiful. It is, uh, is going to set you back. Hold on. $140,000. So for the, the X-Drive with a V8 all-wheel drive system, the Alpina, it is is just a wonderful car to drive. It's... It, it, I think for, I think right now for BMW, they spent a few years trying to, to really be Mercedes a little bit, trying to, 
less comp, less less performance, more luxury. And I think that really sort of hurt them as an automaker because they are not Mercedes. Mercedes is Mercedes. Mercedes, you, you, it's, it's, you, you can't, as an, as an overall automaker, you just can't beat the luxury of Mercedes because that is their jam. Um, so I think that, you know, within the last generation or so of vehicles, they've sort of stepped back and decided to go more performance. And that's what it felt like on this drive. Of course, they also had all the M vehicles, but the Alpina, you know, you get this 4.4 liter uh, V8 with 612 horsepower. I was driving through the desert. It was out in uh, Palm Springs. It's huge. It's comfortable. It's quick. It's it was uh, it's this beautiful, like forest green um, I can't say enough like wonderful things about this very expensive vehicle. I drove the um, the uh, the B7 in Europe a few years ago when I did an Alpina drive, and this is the fastest I've ever driven a car on a road. But it was the Autobahn, and it was I was doing over 200 miles an hour, and it just felt solid as a rock. It was amazing. It was, yeah. And so if you're rich and you're looking for something that's, that's, that's comfortable, <laughs> but also has a little bit of performance, uh, it's, it's tough to, to, to beat the Alpina. How um, much is that car? $140,000. 140. Okay. 140. That's not crazy. But you get a little badge inside. It's like a metal oh. badge, blah, right on the center console. It says Alpina, and then you get the little special shifter. And there's a lot of little like Alpina bits on the outside, so well, people know you're. Well, in that you're, case, then it's like a total bargain. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's you're just you're getting a little, you're paying a little something something for it. Uh, what else did I drive? Hold on, there was a lot of uh, vehicles that I drove, so I have to see which ones I can and cannot talk about. Uh, did you don't did you talk break about an embargo? The M5? Uh, I did drive the M5 on the track, um, and it was fun. I was uh, um, trying to see what I can say. Okay, yeah, I can say I can say that I have driven the M2 and the M2 CS in competition. Um, I still think the uh, 2 Series is the spiritual, uh, the the successor, the spiritual successor of what the uh, 3 Series was, which was you know what the 5 Series was. Uh, but the M5, I expected it to be a little bit more unwieldy than it was, and it wasn't. I drove it on the track. It was it was a blast. Um, most people are, you know, people who are buying an M5 are never going to take that thing to a track. It's not really a track car, but you can, and it does really well. So yeah, I drove the M5. I also drove a right-hand drive Mini Classic, one of the somewhere around the midnight. You oh, can still get one? those, the little ones. Yes. So they let me. I've actually already driven this car. <laughs> Like Did they let you take it on the road? Like just go no, for a drive? No, no, no. They, they don't. They, they we there. There's a there's a skid pad there at. A, we were at Thermal in Palm Springs, where BMW has their competition school where they'll teach you how to drive, like a like a maniac on the track. Um, and so they had a couple uh, Mini Coopers there, um, and Mini Cooper Classics, and we uh, yeah we, we we got to drive one, which is one I I've driven before. Um, and it was a little right-hand drive, green Mini Cooper, and I absolutely adore driving those those tiny Mini Coopers as a big guy and a small car. Um, the way that so the, you think I'm six three, so you think I bet oh, you look ridiculous. I wish I'd seen that. Yeah, I have some pictures. I'll I'll drop the pictures in Excellent. the and uh, the thing. Um, but you 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 think okay? First, it's hard to get in, so that's just a given because how tall I am. But once you're driving the sitting position, because they they move you know the Mini Cooper, they move the wheels out, they put the the the, the engine in they, you know, they, sideways, 
and so you have a little bit more you have this you have more space than you anticipate inside of a vehicle even in these old ones once you're in it and you're driving it's fine because the steering wheel doesn't come down like a traditional steering wheel it's more like a bus so it doesn't hit my knees. It doesn't like I have. You just described driving this teeny tiny little car like driving a bus. I love yes. it. Yes. It's like, the, yeah, the steering wheel is set up like a bus. I actually have more room for my legs and arms and this 90s-ish uh, classic Mini Cooper because it's the same old, old-timey uh, uh, design aesthetic that they just never changed. Then I do in a Lamborghini Huracan con- uh, Roadster. Because in the Huracan, I, <laughs> my leg is, is rubbing against the steering wheel. So when I'm driving, I have to move my right hand up and down. Oh That's super safe. <laughs> because the, cause the, the Roadster has less, has less leg room. You can't put it back all the way. So, yeah. So I, whenever someone's like, hey, do you want to drive the Huracan Roadster? I'm like, nah, that's okay. No, thank you. <laughs> it's a wonderful car. The regular Huracan I, I fitted. But the Roadster, I was just, just, because the, the, just because it's a Roadster, you lose uh, space. So... Tiny old Mini Cooper. Uh, it, it's definitely something I would, I would spend money on for for whatever reason. And we got to um, autocross the uh, Mini SE, the little electric Mini, which was uh, super fun because you get that EV torque and um, an autocross. I did horribly, by the way, because it was the first thing I did in the morning. And uh, did you take out a whole bunch of cones? Did they get stuck under the? I car? didn't hit any cones. I was just like two seconds behind uh, the person who uh, other people which is horrible on a small track it was it was really bad and while I was doing it I was like why do I keep I just wasn't I wasn't pushing it it was too early in the morning for me to you weren't awake you needed more coffee before you I did need more coffee I really blew it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so anyway so yeah a lot of BMWs plus uh, I have the Subaru Outback Wilderness right now that I'm shooting video for the world car of the year uh, this week you I think you both have already driven it yeah. Um, I want to go drive uh, over things. Not. Oh, okay. So Nicole's driven. So there's two cool I people here. I drove over things. I drove over things in it. <laughs> I had fun with that. I, 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 uh, I, when I picked up a friend and there was like this big bump in the road, so I went and towards the bump <laughs> as opposed Wait, to your, I'm right like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so today I might take it out and, and find some, it's difficult where I live to find off-roading that isn't private land. So I'm, I'm going to see if I can find something. I, I just, no, I, I found I've, it very, off-road. I, I found it very fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed driving. It. it was very capable. Um, the nice stretches of like bumpity dirt with little bitty rocks that you didn't really have to slow down on and you could open it up. I'm like, wee, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they gave me some chunky all seasons on it, and I'm very um, yeah. I've just been driving it on the on the freeway, doing you know the regular, just kind of driving around errands type thing. So the next couple of days, I got to do some some proper review driving, and um, yeah, I, I like it. It's a uh, it's surprisingly. And, and the nice cool. thing about the uh, the new one series and two series is they have. A somewhat more modest grill. I mean, they have a more reasonably sized. <laughs> yes, grill I can. I can the, say that the grill no, is like the no old timey grill. You know, yeah, no it, it does not, not. Yeah, no, no bugs bunny grill, no nothing. It's just very. Uh, although nice. seeing it's more modest at this point, like given yeah. where it was, that still makes it huge. It's just like, <laughs> but it's like it's yeah. like an eighth of the size of the grill it could be. Is what it is. It could be just huge. Yeah. This giant thing. And the 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 new the the two series coupe. It it looks the back looks nice. It looks really nice. It I I really liked it. I like that's a proper coupe. I mean they throw in the word coupe on everything. I mean SUVs a coupe. Everything anything with a, like a slight like uh, incline. <laughs> 
You just need a tiniest little bit. Anything that doesn't have a vertical rear window is a coupe. Yeah, if anything. It's not yeah, perfectly straight up. It's officially a coupe. Yeah, if it's not if it's not at a ninety degree, it's 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 all, and now it's a coupe or a coupe if you're fancy yeah. and you say cheers to your friends when you leave a party. Or ciao. Or ciao, ciao. All right, all right, buddy. You're from you're from the same small town I'm from. We never see. Let's <laughs> slow it down there, Mister Intercontinental. All right. Well, I had a, uh, a second white three-row Jeep SUV in the driveway, a second one in a row. Uh, but this time, instead of the Wagoneer, I have the Grand Cherokee L, um, which is the, uh, the, the three-row version of, of Jeep's midsize SUV. So this is comparable in size to uh, you know, Ford Explorer, Hyundai Palisade, uh, Kia Telluride. Uh, but the one I have is the Summit Reserve trim, which is the the high end, top of the line one. Which, interestingly enough, despite having a price tag that's uh, let's see, roughly about thirteen thousand dollars less than the uh, Wagoneer I was driving, has you know quite a bit more equipment and has has some equipment that I would have liked to have had in the Wagoneer. Um, so this this is basically fully loaded. It's got everything. Uh, it, and it also has the optional 5.7 liter Hemi, so it's the same engine that was in the Wagoneer, uh, but it's it's a more manageable size. You know, we were, we were talking before we started recording. I was, I was looking up the specs on the Wagoneer again for uh, review I'm writing, and the the Wagoneer compared to uh, a Ford Expedition or a Chevy Tahoe is about four inches wider. Not including That's the mirrors, which is why it, fill, <laughs> it seems to fill the fill the lane so much because it so it, it, it literally ex- does fill the lane. It explains why or, driving it, I felt like it's just like I'm just going to sideswipe all the things, anything within ten feet of the yeah. road. You're giving it up, like. <laughs> or as, as soon as I got into this Grand Cherokee, it you know I immediately felt much more relaxed, you know, because it it just didn't it doesn't feel so massive. Um, you know, it's a much more manageable size for for driving around town um, or, or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, so this is, you know, a stretched version of the Grand Cherokee that, you know, the, the regular two-row Grand Cherokee is about to launch. Uh, it's the new generation. Uh, three, you know, the third row is, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller than what you get in a Wagoneer, but it's still useful uh, for, for a couple of adults for, for shorter trips or for, you know, teenagers, kids back there. You know, that, it's good for that. And... This one is uh, <clears throat> the Summit Reserve. I thought it actually has nicer seats than what I had in the in the Wagoneer. Uh, they're a little more supportive. The Wagoneer seats are bigger and broader and flatter. This one's, you know, a little more supportive. It's got um, adjustable thigh support, which you didn't have in the in the big one, um, and it's also got massaging Do you seats, use which that? are. You, the, the adjustable seats? thigh support. No, the the, the adjustable I do, thigh because support. You do. I, I do because my 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 proportions are such that you know if like if you measure my my legs the distance from my hip to knee is long and so on a lot of seats I feel like you know I'm missing something like there's an empty space underneath my thighs when I'm driving um, so that's why you know if depending on what kind of seats are in the car you know if it's got uh, if I can angle the, the seat cushion, you know, I try to angle it so it's kind of the front is pointed up, angled up a little more. Or if it's got, you know, adjustable thigh support, I'll pull that out because it, it, for me, it's more comfortable. Okay. You know, as we've talked about before, you know, everybody's body is 
different. And so, you know, so for some people that's going to be useful for others. It's not. Um, but I, I like having that. Uh, and then of course, you know, it's also got massaging seats, which I would have liked to have had on the trip to Indy, but eh, you know, I'll, I'll take it for, you know, they're, they're really good massaging seats in the, in the Grand Cherokee L. Um, it's got the same 10 inch infotainment system with a 10 inch screen with the Uconnect five, um, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android auto support built in there. Uh, and it's just, you know, a lot, it's got a lot of the same kinds of things that you find in the Wagoneer, just kind of scaled down a little bit, you know, not, a little, maybe not quite uh, a little less than seven eighths, a little more than three quarters. So, you know, about, uh, about 13 sixteenths scale of the, of the Wagoneer, <laughs> which as I said, is, is much more comfortable for me to drive. I, I like it a lot better. Um, it, because it does have the Hemi instead of the Pentastar V6, uh, it is still quite thirsty. And unlike the Wagoneer, the Hemi is not equipped with the eTorque mild hybrid system on this one. So you end up with um, only marginally better fuel economy. I've been getting a little, but about 18 and a half miles per gallon versus 17 and a half for the, uh, for the bigger Wagoneer. Um, you know, the, the design uh, of the new Grand Cherokee, you know, it has... You know, it's got the same kind of design language that you see on the Wagoneer, this, this new Jeep design language, um, you know, where instead of the, the Grand Cherokees traditionally have had the grill kind of sloped back. It was a little bit taller. It's shorter and wider on this one and kind of sloped forward a little bit more. Um, it's very similar to the Wagoneer. And I, I think, you know, I think it's a good look. Um, and as I was writing about the Wagoneer earlier this morning, yeah, I was thinking about the the design of it, and I I realized one of the things I like about this this new Jeep look is they've gone the opposite of the rest of the industry and haven't made the seven slot grill stretch all the way from the top to the bottom of the front fascia. You know, it's it's a <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's yeah, much less it's, ostentatious looking. It's there, but it's not like in your face yeah. like certain other brands. Yeah, yeah. We're a Jeep. You, you look at it, you see, oh yeah, Jeep, yeah. But it, yeah, it, it doesn't have to you know, beat you over the head with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty much all the options in this grant in the Summit Reserve trim, uh, including a really nice um, uh, what do they call it uh, tup- uh, Tupelo uh, leather uh, leather uh, seating and and surfaces and uh, open pore wood trim, which I as we talked about last time, I prefer that over the the glossy wood uh this one's got the optional air spring suspension so you can move it up and down uh it's got four-wheel drive uh four-wheel drive uh two-range system you know so you got uh, 48 to 1 crawl ratio uh if you want to go off-roading in it this one has the optional uh macintosh audio system in there as well which the what did you think of that did you think it did you think it was good like did you like the macintosh was Uh, it amazing or did you play with it uh, i I, I do. I mean, it, it, it generally sounds really good. Um, I had, uh, when I drove it in the Grand Wagoneer uh, this summer when we did the drive in New York, um, I was more impressed with it than this, this particular one, this particular vehicle. There, when, I, when I turn up music, I think there's uh, either a bad speaker or something somewhere. Oh. Because I, if I turn it up too much, it, it, there's a rattle in one of the speakers oh, in the front, happen. which I haven't quite been able to isolate. So there's something oh. wrong with that. But in general, the, the, the Macintosh system is you know, a really good car audio system. I mean, all, all of these high-end car audio systems now, 
you know, sound really good, you know, and over, you know, over the years of listening to too much really loud music, you know, my ears are not as, uh, not as good as they used to be, shall we say. And so, you know, there's, there's subtleties that I can't always hear anymore. Uh, but it sounds really good to me. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed if they, uh, if they get this system. Um, do, do you and, have you know, a, do you, you have music? The, you get. Oh, sorry. I was going to ask, do you have music that you typically listen to to test, to test, um, sound systems? Like, is there songs? Is there like certain things? Are you just like turning it on? I try try a mix of, you know, different stuff, you know, some Blood Zeppelin, ACDC, um, you know, and, and some classical music and some jazz. So I, I go through a bunch of different stuff. Um, and you know, it, everything generally sounds really good uh, on this one, um, ex- aside from the one bad speaker. <coughs> oh. um, and and you do and because it's a Macintosh, if you go into the UConnect system, tap on apps, and you can tap on the Macintosh app, and it brings up the little virtual version of the Macintosh, oh. uh, the classic Macintosh me- meters in the the same you know blue color that they've always had on their audio equipment. So. One of a colleague, the, uh, the, the guy who writes for U.S. News is that I ride with a lot. I ride with him on the drive program, <coughs> and he's super into the audio thing. Like he picks it all apart, and he has certain music that he listens to. He was over the moon about this Macintosh system. Like I thought it sounded good, but he, like you were saying, Roberto, he has certain music and certain things that he listens for. He's like, oh, it hits this, it hits that, it hits the other thing. I'm like, so is good, okay. But he like noticed all these little <laughs> tiny little you know finessed things, and I'm like, okay, he's impressed. I think it sounds amazing. But he, ring and right, he's like, there's all these. Things. And, and he loved the little dial thing. He's like, woo! So, yeah. That's that's the most exciting thing. I haven't driven in it in. Ninety nine percent of people that aren't audiophiles will will love it. They'll have no complaints about the audio system in this thing at all. Um, you know, and the one percent, well, you know, they'll find something to complain about about almost any audio system, except for the yeah. one they built in their home theater. <laughs> I spent twenty thousand so, dollars. Uh, Everything he sounds... would do that. So, He'd be uh, like, "I live in an apartment with like no no heat, no electricity, but my sound system on my uh, my radio, my stereo is kick butt. Look at this, but you can't eat. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares?" So all in, this uh, Grand Cherokee L came to $68,725, which is not inexpensive, but you can also get you know the Grand Cherokee L for a lot less than that, you know, if you start at the, the, the base models, like if you start for, with a Laredo, um, the four, two-wheel drive Laredo starts at 38635 uh, and 40635 for the four-wheel drive. And, you know, it goes up from there, you know, as, as is usually the case uh, with, you know, whatever trim level you, you choose. Uh, so if you're looking for a, a three-row SUV, um, you know, that's in that, that mid-size class that, uh, that we've talked so much about, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, if you were to go like the, the middle of the lineup, you know, with a, uh, latitude hey, or hey. limited, okay, you know, come here, look. this is highly competitive with the likes of the Telluride or the Palisade or, you know, or the See? Explorers. Nothing there. Um, and then, you know, if you want all the luxury stuff, hey. you, you can go quite hey. a bit more expensive hey. than those. Sam, I have a question. Do you think it matches up? Like, because with Telluride hey. and Palisade, I feel like the interiors of those are really quite good, especially for the price. There's Do you feel it matches there. up with an Explorer? Good job. Hey. Uh, with Explorer or with Grand Cherokee? Yeah. 
that we were saying you listed the Explorer on your list, didn't you, just now, this. of vehicles that you can compare? Yeah, in, in, term, in terms of size, you know, and the class. Size, okay. Know, it's, okay. It's, it's in that same size class. In terms of the interior, I think the, the, the Hyundai and the Kia have better interiors than the Explorer does. Um, okay. And then you know this you know kind of goes beyond that. I haven't I haven't had a chance to take a look at the those mid level trims that are on here that are you know in that same price class with the, right. the Hyundai and Kia uh, to see what those are like. But you know generally you know anything from Stellantis in recent years has been really good. Uh, you know yeah. this is this is more this is this is the kind of interior that you would expect in a Genesis. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I guess you know the the sum. Yeah, and this is this is the interesting thing about Jeep, and you know uh, the same was true with the the Wagoneer and the the Grand Wagoneer. They kind of the Jeep brand is kind of spanning across multiple categories now. You know, at the the bottom end of you know the entry level of the Jeep brand for any of their models, you know they're priced more closer to you know what we would consider the mainstream brands. You know, the Fords, Chevys, and and um, Hyundai's and Kias. And then they continue on up into what we would consider the premium brands. So this Summit Reserve is really, it's more comparable to a Genesis GV80 than it is to, um, to a Hyundai Palisade or a Kia Telluride in terms of what you're getting, the, <clears throat> the equipment you're getting on it and, and the, the um, level of the fit and finish and materials in it. And in that context, you know, 68,000 for this versus, you know, comparable to slightly more for a GV80, uh, I would say it's it's very highly competitive with with that vehicle. And probably better off-road than the Genesis. Probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Jeep after all. And the Genesis you can't get a two-range uh, four-wheel drive system, things like that. Correct. All right, let's move on. Um, so there was some, there was a topic that we talked about last year before the two of you joined the show, um, about the, uh, the right to repair bill <clears throat> that was on the ballot in Massachusetts last fall, which passed, uh, by I think a fairly wide majority. Um, and that, that right to repair bill was for vehicles, uh, that was demanding that automakers make the, the telematics, uh, diagnostic data that they have available, uh, Open, open that up to make it available to independent service uh, providers. So rather than just being available to dealers, uh, it would be available to anybody to access that. And there were some, uh, at the time, I, I, you know, I, I support right to repair, but I also had some concerns about the way that particular measure was structured because of you know, opening up uh, vehicle connectivity data to anybody, you know, and yeah. that, you know, I think has had the potential for some cybersecurity issues. Uh, and pre I think pretty much all the automakers were opposed to that particular measure, but it passed anyway. Uh, and so now Subaru has responded. Um, if you buy a 2022 uh, Subaru in Massachusetts, you no longer have access to Starlink telematics. It's just it's not even offered. They just turn it off if you buy it in Massachusetts. Wow. Did um, they just they do this? decided not uh yeah, just this week. Uh they announced that wow. they were disabling it. Um and so for all the twenty twenty two models. Uh so if you buy a Subaru in, in Massachusetts, no connectivity for you. What do you guys think about that? 
I, I think I'm in the same boat as you because on one hand, the the right to repair is, I mean, that's a huge thing. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, we can go back to 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 Apple, who's who's fought this. John Deere especially has been very uh, anti right to repair, which has put a lot of uh, farmers into you know essentially stock paying you know way more money than they should to get their their tractors fixed. Um, and then with the automakers, I think there's, you know, there, there are things that you sh- that should be open to, you know, individuals or to third party shops. But uh, again, the, with the privacy implications of tele- telematics, like you go to, you know, a third party shop and random uh, mechanic is, you know, he sees uh, uh, or he or she sees like a girl or a boy who's bringing a vehicle in and they, you know, think, hey, I'm going to be a stalker. It's so it's yeah. So that's that's my like, you know that's that there's this concern. I mean I don't and I don't know if that is going to be if that's going to be worse than if you brought it into the dealership where you'd pay a lot more money to be stalked by a creeper. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah. Telematics is such a weird thing that to have to give access to um, to widen access to when it comes down to it. So I. I uh, I don't know where I sit on this one, to be, to be perfectly honest. On one hand, I'm like, yes, we need the right to repair. On the other hand, I'm like, people deserve their privacy. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, the telematics information, how is that? Uh, I mean, is it rele- is it, how relevant is it to, to fixing the vehicle as opposed to, do you need that information in order to fix the vehicle? You know, but I wonder if it's not, like, if it's one of those things, Roberto, where it's not, like you don't necessarily need the telematics to fix the vehicle, right? But is there some part, you know, all that code and everything, there's a lot of complexity back there and you don't know what pieces integrate with whatever, what other pieces behind the scenes. And you wonder if by giving you this extra stuff, did we also give you all this additional information that you don't need to fi- Like how much, you know, opening one thing, do you open them all, you know? Yeah. And and even if you don't need it, That's it's like, well, if we, the bigger we concern, turn this yeah. off, we've turned off these 18 other things. We can't turn off one without turning off the other. And like you said, you don't necessarily want the guy fixing your car to know where you live, where you work, where you take your kid to dance class. Like yeah. I, I get the... I get it's. I get it. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you would well, determine you, you, what information you could give and what information you could, couldn't, or where you could, as a consumer, could you, you know, make it available now but not available then? Like I don't know. I don't know how you would do it. I, I mean, it can be. It's a, it's a it's a problem that can be solved within software. You can firewall certain data, but it's mm-hmm. very very expensive. And if we've learned anything over the last few years, when it comes. To, that automakers have learned anything over the last few years is that software is super difficult. It's ask ask Volkswagen and their infotainment system and the ID3 and the ID4. It's just yeah. it's, it's it's incredibly difficult. It's far more difficult than I think automakers uh, took into consideration beforehand because they were using a lot of just sort of off the shelf stuff or they they built like very you know very easy to use, easy to build, and sometimes very easy to hack systems. And so now you have this situation where. Subaru isn't Ford. Subaru isn't Volkswagen. Subaru, you know, they have they have money from Toyota, but they're not Toyota. Um, can they afford to go through and fix this and and then have to pull all these vehicles in because they don't have over-the-air updates and then push the code and then hope everything works because you know it's 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 going to be difficult for them to 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 test this um, because now you're testing it on the road with real people. Um, or just turn it off. They're like, you know what? Let's just turn it off. And I think that's Which where the, the easier with, solution. It's the easier solution. More affordable. Yeah, yeah. When you, it comes down to like, okay, we're going to be spending millions of dollars to fix this problem, or hundreds of thousands of dollars, or however much, and 
they looked at that and then they looked and they got a spreadsheet out and then they looked at how much money they were going to lose from monthly subscribers to Starlink and they said, you know what? Not enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. It, this is this is what the spreadsheet says and the spreadsheet says we can't separate this data from this data like um, in a way that's affordable or, or is or makes makes it makes sense financially for us as an automaker. Which is fair. I mean, I get it. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to watch as we go forward. You know, as cus- automakers are relying more and more on connectivity for revenue streams. I mean, you know, GM at their investor day a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. I think, you know, about um, their they announced their Altify platform uh, for you know for software to allow developers to to bring third party apps into um, GM vehicles on on their new GM on new GM vehicles and you know they at during the investor day they talked about doubling their revenue over the next 9 years by the end by 2030 from 140 to 280 billion dollars with a lot of that additional incremental revenue coming from services built on connectivity and you know I, i'm skeptical if they can <laughs> actually get that much more revenue out of that but that's that's a whole other issue but you know every automaker you know is looking at connectivity as a as a way to um to generate new revenue streams and you know even for a smaller player like subaru you know that's that's going to be something important that they're going to have to consider and so their companies are going to have to figure out a way to do this and maintain security of these systems so that you know if you open portals for third-party service providers to get in and and do stuff with the vehicle you know either extract data from the vehicle or provide services to customers they're they're going to have to find a way to do that without allowing bad actors to get in and you know either take remote control of the vehicle or steal data or you know any number of other things bad things that could happen Uh, so it's going to be a challenge for everybody over the next the next decade to to figure this out um, speaking of over-the-air updates, uh, <clears throat> a lot of customers that have bought um, Ford F-150s, the 21 Ford F-150s over the past year, uh, as well as the Mustang Mach-E, have been waiting anxiously to get uh, their Blue Cruise uh, system enabled uh, via an OTA update. The, the vehicles were, most of the, many of these vehicles were built with the hardware to support Blue Cruise, and that's Ford's hands-free system like Super Cruise. Um, Turns out they're going to have to wait a little longer, like into the first quarter of 2022. Uh, that was supposed to be out about now, uh, and there was a report uh, that came out uh, a few days ago, and I reached out that it was delayed. And I reached out to Ford for clarification on that, and it's not Blue Cruise itself is not actually delayed. Um, there, that's actually the the cars that are, the cars and trucks are shipping from the factory now have it on there, and it's enabled. But um, for customers that got their vehicles earlier in the year that are waiting for the over-the-air update, Ford is still having some challenges with the OTA update system. And rather than risk um, pushing it out and maybe bricking somebody's vehicle, they're, they're holding back on doing the OTA updates until they get all those issues sorted out. Uh, and uh, so that's going to be sometime after the first of the year, according to Ford. Um, on the one hand, I mean that's that's good because you're there. I mean, if it's a security concern, if it's a bricking concern, like all these concerns that you should be worried about when it comes to over-the-air mm-hmm. updates or just updating, you know, 
vehicle grade software. That's great. On the other hand, um, everyone, you know, there's probably a lot of people who had F-150s or Mach-E's that were going to drive a long distance to visit family for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or for whatever holiday, you know, they may be celebrating or just for the, you know, the winter break. I mean, kids get time off for winter break. And they were like, yeah, I'm going to use Blue Cruise on the interstate. It's going to be, oh, no, wait, never mind. <laughs> wah, wah. And you Just going to have to keep my cruise. hands on the wheel. Yeah, you still have adaptive cruise control. And you. St- and I, most of the time, I mean, Super Cruise, Blue Cruise, I, I, my hands are like literally hovering over the car most of the, <laughs> over the wheel most of the time. Like, I can't yeah. let go, I can let go of the wheel, but I'm still like, any minute now, technology is going to fail me and I'm going to hit a tree. And I don't. It all works, but I'm just like, ah, the whole time. <laughs> So I want to, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm always a fan of 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 having safer software <laughs> being pushed to vehicles, as opposed to let's say a beta that you have to pull back on, that uh, just makes cars stop. Tesla. I'm just gonna say Tesla. It doesn't matter. Or, I mean, what are they gonna do? Or, or just Am I gonna you know, randomly turn into tr- into oncoming traffic? You know. Yeah, just for funsies. Ooh. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. If you if you have to delay software for the sake of safety or security or privacy, then yeah, yeah, that's fine. Especially if it's only like a few months. Right. Yeah. All right, uh, Roberto. You got a chance. Like, I think it's probably a couple of months now to fi- uh, go to finally try out the new Mercedes Benz SL, and that embargo finally lifted this week. Um, tell us about it. So I, I didn't get to drive the Mercedes SL. I, I, I've been invited to drive it now in, in some, at some future date. But I, I was allowed to sit in it while they drove it around with me in the car. So, uh, they, okay. so automakers, what they'll do is they'll have these like test vehicles that they're testing. And uh, occasionally they will say, hey, this is a highly anticipated vehicle. Would you like to come and sit in the car while an engineer drives it and talks to you about it? And that's what I did. And it's a very odd thing to 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 do and to write about <laughs> because you're not driving the car. You're just sitting in the car while someone else drives it. So it's, it's sort of this very weird, uh, I, I, assume it's, I assume it's what it's like when I put my friends in the test vehicles that I get uh, review vehicles <laughs> I get at home. I'm like, isn't this great? And they're like, yeah, this seems great. And you know, they're, they're basing their, their experience on how I'm driving a said vehicle. I mean, they're going to, so, but you know, from, from, from sitting in the car, um, uh, it, it felt a bit more nimbler. It felt a bit more sporty. And that's what the Mercedes has been going for with the, with the new SL. I think, you know, they kept saying that, you know, we, uh, customers are saying this and, you know, we're, we're, we're hearing this and, you know, that they wanted something that was a bit more light that wasn't as bloated as the current, the previous generation SL. Um, and so that's what they built. And from, from, from the passenger seat, uh, that's what it felt like. Um, it's a very pretty car. Uh, it's comfortable. Um, I think when you when you get a Mercedes, there is the um, and, and the SL is a, is an AMG vehicle. So there's you know it's going to be it's going to have that AMG you know fun and power and performance. But it's also a Mercedes, so you have to sort of you have to have that comfort level in there. You have to have the ability to drive around town. And, and pick uh, fancy people up and drive them around and drop them in fancy places. Not that I am fancy. I'm the least fancy person that sits in the Mercedes at any time. <laughs> but others, uh, you know, they, they still want that, that very comfortable, uh, luxurious uh, Mercedes experience. And, you know, for a car, its size and for what it does, it, it has that. So from, from my experience, sitting in the passenger seat in Colorado on the, um, on the freeway in traffic and on a mountain road, it was a, a very comfortable experience. Unfortunately, we didn't get to put the the uh, roof down, not the roof, the top down, 
while we were while I was driving because we drove through a lot of where we were driving there was a lot of dust and so I didn't I didn't get that other people did who were on that trip got to do it but but not me but it was it's it's fine it's fine it's fine I'm not I'm not sad but um, yeah so I look I, I really I'm really looking forward to driving it in um, I don't know whenever whenever that is going to happen in the next few weeks or few months um, and I will have more information once that happens uh, but yeah SL I mean Mercedes. When you talk to pe- the, the like people who are sort of on the peripheral of of cars, um, if you show them the Mercedes Gullwing or the Mercedes SL uh, Roadster from back in the day, that's automatically their favorite car. There are two sort of like like favorite like zeitgeist vehicles. It's the Gullwing and the Roadster that killed James Dean. Those are the two. Yeah. <laughs> The Porsche Roadster <laughs> um, or Speedster, they, those are sort of like people see those and like, oh yeah, that's my favorite car. Oh yeah, that's my. They don't have to know anything about the vehicles. They just know they're they're shiny and silver and they look cool. And I think the so the SL has a lot. The new SL has a lot to sort of live up to. And it, it doesn't have Gullwing um, doors though, unfortunately, because it, it's a Roadster and the doors would just fly off. <laughs> but one one interesting thing that they changed on this one is they went back to a soft top instead of the retractable hardtop that they've had in the last couple of generations. Did they, did they talk at all about why they chose to do that? Um, trying to think back on that drive. I don't think they talked about it. Um, I, I, when it comes to these sort of vehicles, um, the soft top, um, yeah, I cut out, it was, it was quiet in the, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's Mercedes. They're going to work their darndest to make sure that even their soft top is quiet. It's definitely not a Wrangler. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, and so I, you know, or a Bronco. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not, you know, but it is, it, you know, it was quiet with it on there. Um, I think there's, you know, their soft tops are, 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 they, the seal is really nice on those. That, that, I'm always sort of uh, amazed at how well Mercedes does their soft top convertibles with the, it's just like, it's like hermetically sealed, even though it's a soft top. So I think uh, it's probably a, a little bit of weight, a little bit of cost saving, a little bit of, uh, you know, engineering. I mean, the engineering of a hard top is a, a bit more difficult when you, when you making it retractable versus a soft top. It's so overall you're saving, you're saving a lot of, uh, of everything really from, from, from money to weight to everything in between for a little extra, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Protection from the elements, um, and I'm sure they're they're, they're probably going to sell more of these in California, where it's it's not it's that's you know I'm sure the the main areas are California, Florida, yeah, the, places where you don't really yeah. get a lot of weather. Well, New Florida, Hampshire, you don't think is yeah. their target market? Yeah, Texas. they're not. They're, I don't think there's a big uh, a big pull for 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 Mercedes SLs, and, um, Roadsters in Montana, or probably you know. not. There's probably an, I mean, someone someone's buying it, but that that car is being garaged. <gasps> One person. Yeah, that that, yeah. that that person is is garaging it and then someone's driving it. Someone's got a private and, racetrack. Right. Yeah. And 10 other cars to drive and all the other weather that they have to encounter. And 10 other cars <laughs> to drive. Yeah, I drove yeah. an old Mercedes SL. Um, I forget which year. Uh, yeah, you talked about uh, when that. Monterey this summer. Yeah, yeah, Monterey, and that was outstanding. Right. I, lo- I, I absolutely love driving old cars, though, so that's just an old car nerd issue, though. It could have been anything, really, <laughs> if it was an old car. It's it's bad. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, the uh, For 2022, GMC is uh, launching a refreshed version of the Sierra, 
which I actually drove this summer um, out at the Milford Proving Grounds when they uh, were showing off the, the new version of Super Cruise that's going into that. Um, and at that time, the, the trucks that we were in still had the interior all covered up, had camo on the, uh, the front, so we couldn't see the revised front end. Um, but um, they've actually revealed... The, done the full reveal on the the new Sierra, and there's also an updated 22 Silverado coming, which we haven't Chevy hasn't shown off yet. Um, and I think Nicole, uh, did you did you uh, see it when you were here in Detroit? Um, actually, I, know they, I did. It wasn't they did a, an online it, virtual reveal. Yeah, this wasn't actually when I was there for the Nactoy drive. It was separate from that. Uh, they flew some folks out to uh, Detroit to take a good look at their two, specifically the two new trims, the Denali Ultimate and the AT4X. Denali Ultimate is the, the next step up in the Denali. It, it takes it even further towards luxury. And the AT4X is the next step up in off-roading and takes it, makes it more rugged and more off-roady. Um, the first thing, they had them both there for us. We couldn't drive them, but we could get a good look at them. They had designers there talking about why they did what they did and what they were going for and all the little details of it. Um, here's the thing. GMC is, is like, it's not like a luxury, luxury brand, but it's like an upscale brand, right? So it's kind of like in the middle between the average car and the Mercedes genuine luxury stuff and kind of bridges depending kind of on, like what we were talking about with Jeep earlier. Yeah. It's like, it's like in the middle. Right. And depending on when you got in their cars, some of them are like, okay, like, okay. feels, it feels like their base trim is still fancier than other guys base trims of their vehicles. Right. But they didn't always nail it on how nice they got inside. I got to tell you this Denali ultimate, the thing is beautiful. Like the quality of the materials, the attention, to detail that they put into the interior and the exterior of this, I was genuinely impressed. Um, you don't feel like they phoned it in at all. They did some, like on the outside, okay, they have this, they call it Vader Chrome, and all I can think of is Darth Vader, and I don't think that's what they mean at all, but all I can think of is Darth <laughs> Vader. And they have this on the Chrome, on the grill, they have the badging is that same Vader Chrome, and it gives it kind of a neat little finish. They have these... 22 inch wheels that are different than they are on other uh, vehicles in the lineup. Um, it gets standard stuff like the multi-pro tailgate and there's a Denali premium suspension and adaptive ride control. You get power assist steps, but really the way they did the looks on this. And it's like when you're buying a luxury vehicle, you want the performance. Okay. You can get the performance in other versions of the Sierra. If you want the performance, but you want it to look really pretty, holy cow. Like there's all these leather trims. Um, they have Mount Denali is like embossed onto some of the fabric and leather trims and, and, and etched into some yeah, of the wood. Yeah, it's a topographic map of Denali. Yeah, like there's a, so you look at it, you're like, what is that? You're like, oh my gosh, that's a top, that, how cool. Like it's the Denali premium. They put it, that map in there. Um, there's like a micro suede headliner. Um, the seats, we were talking about seats, 16 way power adjustable massaging front seats. Sam, your thighs will be properly supported in this vehicle. Um, <laughs> it, it was, but it looks, and it's not, 
what I really liked about it is everything felt like a package. Like sometimes you walk, you, you sit down in these really nice vehicles. You're like, oh, wow, they really did use a really nice leather. But there's no design to this. The design is just meh. Or, oh, there's this beautiful wood, but it doesn't match up with the leather or it just doesn't feel cohesive. This is, this is a stunning interior. I know I was raving about Ram's interiors because we were talking about just in general, Stellantis does a really good interior right now. I think GMC has done really well on this Denali Ultimate. I think when, you know, you see the pictures and it looks good in the pictures, when you see it in person and you, you actually feel the materials and see the texture of it and you sit down and you take a seat, they did a phenomenal job in this. So I think this, you know, it's not just, oh, we're going to put ultimate on the end of Denali and call it something fancy. No, we're putting ultimate on the end of Denali and we really did make this even better than the existing Denali trims. So I was super impressed with it. Um, but I'm an interior person. Like I want my interior, my fancy car to feel like the interior of a fancy car. I don't like it to feel phoned in. The other thing that they did was the AT4X and that one, they're going for more of an off-road kind of thing. Um, and it, it does the same thing. It has, they, it's weird. It's, it's not the elegance of the Denali Ultimate, but they did the same thing where it's like, we're going to give it these really cool interior look that is very unique to it, but again, makes it feel a little bit more rugged, a little more durable, but still looks like something special. It doesn't have the same like refinement of the Denali Premium but or Denali Ultimate, but it shouldn't because it's looking to be a little bit more rugged and off-roady. And they did so much stuff to make this a genuinely capable vehicle. Um, there's like a giant list. They have special springs in this that can travel more. They have a two-speed transfer case with selectable drive modes. They've got front and rear electronically locking differentials. Uh, they've got a unique off-road chassis and suspension that they've calibrated specifically for this. It's not the same way as it is in other versions of the Sierra. There's a transfer case shield. They've got like these special wheels with, you know, 18-inch black wheels with mud terrain tires. And they've done a lot to make it not just more capable, and it's a giant list of the features, but they've made it look unique to its class, unique within the Sierra lineup. So uh, two new trims, got a really good look at them, genuinely impressed. And my feeling was that if you looked at the GMC Sierra and you've thought, okay, yeah, it's cool inside, but it's not really as cool as I feel like it should be. When these come out, give them a look, especially that Denali Ultimate. Go look at it because the interior of this, these, they've done an amazing job. It's like they've leveled up and done something much better. I, w I was looking yeah, at the price of the Denali Ultimate and they better have put up some, uh, they better stepped up. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like if you're buying a truck like that, right? You're that same guy who's buying a $140,000 Mercedes. You're, you're not, price is only a small part of it. You know, you're looking to have the experience of driving in a luxury vehicle and you don't want it to be in a sedan. You want it to be a luxury truck. And like I said, I haven't quite felt like GMC knocked it out of the park with the Sierra before. Didn't mm -hmm. quite. It was like, they were nice, but they weren't really luxury. This one, you're like, wow. Okay. So this is not cheap, but I would pay for this. It really looks stunning in person. Really, really beautiful interior. What? I don't know if we talked about it last time, um, but the um, uh, the Hummer, you drove the Hummer when you were here for the Nactoid drive. I did. How was the interior in that? Was I mean, was it production representative or was it still you know kind of 
prototype not really entirely finished? I believe it was pretty, it didn't feel prototype. So although there could have been components in there, they didn't specifically say it was prototype. So I'm going to say it was either production or pretty darn close to it. Didn't have any of the hallmarks of not being ready. Um, I think the thing that's different about the Hummer is Hummer is just think about the brand, what it was before it was the electric vehicle, just big. Great, big, big, everything, big, big climb over stuff, big wheels, big, big vehicle, big gas consumption, big everything. It was big. And when you sit down in the Hummer, it feels very nice, but it still has that sort of chunkiness to it in a good way. Nothing's cute and delicate and light. It's all like, yeah, you could, this is a, this is a burly vehicle. I can take on anything. It has this rougher, tougher interior to it. The accents, nothing's, nothing's cute and delicate and like, you know, there's no, oh, this is finesse. This is that. It's like, that's metal. That's, you know, leather. That's, yeah, you could do anything. It's just as much more much more aggressive and in your face and there's nothing teeny tiny delicate everything's big and large and bold you can drive it to the moon you drive it to the moon if you want to yes yeah so it's a very different interior upscale but not aiming for that same kind of like this is a luxury vehicle feel that the denali ultimate is aiming for okay um, one of the one of the other things that's changing for the <clears throat> the 22 Sierra is the base engine, um, the the 2.7 liter turbo four cylinder that they offer. Um, it's getting 20 percent more torque, same same horsepower as before, but it's getting it's going up to 420 foot pounds of torque, which is a lot for a four cylinder engine. That's <laughs> that's comparable to what you get with the the 6.2 liter V8 that's in the in the Denali. Yeah. Um, yes. Let's see what else. Turbo, yo. And then, um, and then um, the the thirteen and a half inch um, touchscreen center touchscreen is in there. It's uh, the the new infotainment system is based on Android Automotive. So, you, and it's got full Google Automotive services in there. So you get Google Maps and uh, Google Assistant and um, all, all the other stuff that they offer in there. Uh, so much much like a, what you get with the the Polestar. Yeah, and it does get a version of Super Cruise that is supposed to be trailer capable, so yeah. you'll be able to use Super Cruise. Right. Yeah, and I tried that out this summer. How was that? It, it's really good. Yeah. Um, it's it's really impressive what it can do. You know, and, and yeah, I, I've always been a little dubious about hands-free driving systems. Uh, you know, with with Super Cruise and Blue Cruise and others. Um, you know, because you know they say you know it reduces the driver workload. Yeah, you, you don't have your hands on the wheel, but because you're you're having to supervise it more, um, it's creating new cognitive workloads, and so it's it's different. It's not. I don't find it to be as relaxing as you know some mm -hmm. people claim uh, to be able to take your hands off the wheel and sit back and just watch the road and and be you know constantly vigilant you know to take over at any moment when it you know when the system doesn't know what to do. But when you're towing a trailer, you know, if you've ever towed a, a heavy trailer. That is, you know, that can be kind of a nerve-wracking experience, you know, under normal conditions. So if you can take your hands off the wheel and you don't have to worry about steering and you can focus more on, you know, just, you know, watching for the, uh, you know, watching the road, but also, you know, feeling for the, the 
you know, with the trailers moving around in ways that it shouldn't be. I think that that might actually be a better use case than just normal driving hands-free. Did you uh, on did the you highway. get to try it with a trailer, Sam? Did they let you try it with mm-hmm. a trailer? Yeah, just we, trying we, it. Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah, we were, we tried it uh, towing a five thousand pound trailer. Um, we also got to try out the auto lane change, which is a new feature of this. So now, you know, that currently on the Escalade um, and on the uh, CT4 and CT5, you can get Super Cruise, and it's got lane change on demand. So if you just tap this, the turn signal stock, it, the sensors will look to see if the lane is clear, and then it'll change lanes for you with your hands off the wheel. The the updated system that's launching with Sierra, and it's going to be uh, provided to the other vehicles uh, as an OTA, um, is actually automatic overtaking. So you don't even have to tap the turn signal stock unless you want to override it and you don't want it. So if it sees, you know, if if the vehicle in front of you is going slower than your set speed, so if you're set at 70 miles an hour and the vehicle in front of you is going 65 or 60, it'll look to see, it'll look to the left, see if the lane, and it, it always prioritizes passing on the left as it should uses proper lane discipline it'll um, if it's clear it will move over uh, to the left lane pass the vehicle and then go back into the cruising lane and get back you know in the lane you were in originally um, and only if you decide you don't want it to change lanes then you just tap the turn signal stock and it'll cancel so it won't so it'll let you know before it does it and you have the opportunity to override it and tell it not to do that I did get to try that. I didn't. They didn't have a trailer that we could tow, but they have the new Super Cruise in the Hummer, and I did get to try. That was the first time I tried Super Cruise. Period. The end. So I don't have any old version versus new version, but I did think like it was. It was a little weird, but it it worked really well. Like to just be on the highway and know you're coming up on that car. And you're like, okay, it should stop. It should stop. It should stop or slow down. And then it's like, no, I'm just going to turn into the left lane. We're going to go around and we're going to go back. And it. What I liked about it is it sometimes with. Um, all these hands-free type stuff, you feel like the spot where it determines it needs to slow down is either way too early or way too late. So you get nervous as a driver because you're like, it's not really seeing that. Or you think, now I look like a nervous driver. The people behind me don't know why I'm slowing down. I thought the Super Cruise was really good at saying like, this is about where a normal person, a human, would say, I need to get into the other lane or break. And it would do that. And I thought it that was... That was impressive. It, it, although it, it, like I said, it gets a, it takes a little getting used to that. It's, it's not really slowing down because it knows it's just going to speed up, change lanes, and come back in, just like you wouldn't slow down if you didn't have to. Uh, but I thought that was yeah. neat. But I did not get to experience the towing to see how that went. What one of the the interesting things that uh, the GM's doing uh, when you're towing is, you know, obviously if you've got a five or seven or ten thousand pound trailer behind you, you're uh, the, the way the vehicle responds is going to be different. Take, your stopping distances are longer. Uh, you know, the vehicle's not, you know, you, um, you can't change lanes as fast and those, those sorts of things. And so what it does, is it actually estimates, uh, it, it, based on your acceleration and braking, it estimates the weight of the trailer. So when you go to accelerate uh, and you've got a trailer hooked up, you know, for a given amount of throttle input, you know, you, it, under normal circumstances, you would get a certain amount of acceleration. And if it sees the acceleration is less, then it's assuming that you've got either a heavy payload or a trailer behind you. And so it estimates what the, the, the payload or trailer weight is, and then it automatically adjusts the, the following speeds. So your gap, you know, if you're, if you're towing, if you're, not, if you're driving without any payload or a trailer at 70 miles an hour, your, your gap might be, let's say, 
50 meters, you know, at 70 miles an hour. It's probably, you know, probably going to be a little more than that, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, just for example. And then if it decides, okay, you've got a 5,000-pound trailer hooked up, it will automatically increase that to, let's say, 100 meters or 150 meters to make sure that you've got enough distance to safely stop uh, or respond to things that might be going on, uh, even when you've got that trailer hooked up. So that's, you know, they did some really smart things in there, which um, hopefully when Ford gets around to adding trailering capability with Blue Cruise, they do something similar. Uh, in Ford's case, they actually have the, the sensors built into the trucks now to actually measure the load uh, at the hitch and also on the bed. Uh, so they can, they can directly measure that instead of estimating it based on the, the vehicle responses. That's pretty slick. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, uh, this is actually came uh, as a result of one of the questions that was submitted from Bryn Barenhausen uh, about uh, the next financial crisis looming and had a link to a story in Jalopnik, which then linked to the original story from Consumer Reports about consumers paying too much for car loans. Um, and Looking through this this article, uh, you know, Consumer Reports did a study. They they got data on uh, 858,000 car loans uh, from 17 major auto lenders and found some pretty startling data in here in terms of the uh, the payments that people were making, the um, interest rates that they were getting, uh, and uh, you know how you know how much people were. Just paying for cars. And it turns out, actually, looks like most of the data is actually uh, from used car loans, which you know, is actually more problematic, I think, in most cases wow. than new car loans, especially if you, um, or at least the, the examples that they reference in the article are all from used car loans. Um, you know, with, with new car loans, you know, most, most new car loans are done through the, the captive lending arms of the automakers like Ford Credit or GM Financial or um, Stellantis's uh, financial arm. But um, when you go to buy, if you need to finance a used car, you're kind of more out, you know, in the weeds, you know, any, anything's possible as to, you know, where the financing is going to come from. And a lot of times, um, you know, used car dealers will, you know, they they will sometimes go to some shady sources to get the financing. Um, it, you know, in the article here, it, there's a graph showing the total amount of American auto loan debt from 2010 when it was 0.71 trillion, so 710 mil, uh, billion dollars. It's now 1.42 trillion dollars in 2021. So it's doubled. Wait, what was that? What was car, that? Doubled? Debt. Holy cow! Yeah, it went from 710 billion to 1.42 trillion dollars. In, in the Jeez. last ten years, and that's a lot of money. The 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 startling thing, you know, from this data they found is just the range of interest rates and payments that people are making. They give this example of a uh, a Maryland residence resident um, with that had good credit, financed a 2018 Toyota Camry with a 19 percent APR loan, what? and a monthly payment of 823 dollars. For a twenty for a used twenty eighteen Camry, that's like buying it on a credit card. Why would, why would anyone? Okay, what super confuses me about that is it's not even like oh your car payment's kind of high. Why would you set yourself up for that kind of car payment for a used Camry? Like there are thing if you're that, what my head wants to explode with that. 
yeah, the this particular loan uh, is due to be paid off in late 2025. Um, if the borrower goes the full term, yeah, of the how loan, much is it going to be? We will have spent fifty nine thousand dollars on a Camry, about, about double what the car Camry. was worth. On a used Camry. A used Camry. I mean, not not. I'm nothing against Camrys. Great little sedan. Like I love you, Camry. I love you till you do. You're great, but I'm not paying fifty nine thousand dollars for one. Oh my lord. So where does that come from? Are people just not... So is it really the car industry or is it that consumers just need a lesson in credit? I think there's a... I think it's... Well, uh, I don't I, know if it's... I think it's a, a bunch of different... I think, A, customers need um, a lesson in credit. No one no one is taught, like, how to do, like, real finance finances in high school. Instead, we, we have all these other classes. But I didn't know about how finances work in high school. Because like, you think, oh, well, it's 20%, so I'm just going to pay $20 extra. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. <laughs> It's <laughs> always, so, you know, the way, um, the way, the way credit is, 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 uh, offered up to people, especially in a high and also buying a car at a dealer used or new, it's such a high stress because they're just throwing numbers at you and they're essentially, it is, it is a, uh, they're just trying to confuse you. They're just continuously oh, yeah. like trying to confuse you. So people, and I think people end up. Uh, a get super stressed out and sign things and sign up for things that they don't realize what they're doing because it is such a well we got to do it because someone's come someone's going to come and get this car and you need a car right away and it's I think it's there's a lot of issues that are going on right here where there's a people um, just don't understand how 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 APRs work b the um, Sometimes that's maybe they're, where they're buying the vehicle is where they're at. There's also the, the idea, well, this car just exploded. It doesn't work anymore. I need a car right away. And you just sort of take whatever's first. And then the shadiness of buying a vehicle from, from, from car dealerships. I mean, you, we can talk about, you know, eh, there's this great dealership. This is great. But every, you know, every time I've gone to buy a car, there's always somebody who's trying to pull one over on us. Every, every time. Every, every time. single time. And it's, it's either the fight, really, like, we know what we're doing, right? The three of us are, like, pretty, we walk in, we know what cars are what. We know what's being offered. You can't tell us it's one thing if it's another. We're the, we're the consumer that the auto dealership doesn't want because we yeah. actually know enough to get exactly what we want and not pay more for it. And if you're not going to... If you're not, if you're trying to sell me a, a line of bull, I'm gonna know it. I'm out. I'm out. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like every time I've walked in without fail, like you said, Roberto, there is something. This is the last one on the lot. We will never get another one. This is the last car in the history of cars. No, it's not. You have another truck coming. Like there are other cars out there. Even if I don't get this car from you right now at that price. There is another car, even now, where things are, where supply is tight, and maybe you can't get your seats with a thigh extender, but you can still get a car that's going to work for you. There's still a car out there. Like, don't just walk out of a dealership like, well, it's, if I wanted that one, I had to buy it. I had to buy it right now. I had to pay 19%. No, you didn't. There are other options. Like, I don't know. I feel like people are just, don't panic in the dealership, people. Take a deep cleansing breath and walk away and think about it and come back. They are going to sell you something. If you don't yeah. buy what they had and another guy buys it, they will find something else to sell you yeah. at a price you can afford and at a rate that you. They're not going to be like, you want to buy a car? No, we're not selling you one. You didn't buy the first one. We're out. Forget it. <laughs> Especially in the financing room. That's when the person's <sighs> like using all this like fake, essentially fake math. Like they're like, well, oh, you. it's terrible. I think we went in, I went and bought a car once where the, the most we want to pay was three fifty a month. And they kept saying, well, you're going to save this much on gas and this one. So even though it's 425 it's really 350 a month. I'm like, no, no that's no. not how this works because now my insurance <laughs> is going up because <laughs> – that's. <laughs> 
that's the way it works <laughs> when, when you look at the Tesla website. If you go to Tesla, yeah, they're like purchase. There's uh, the purchase and, price, price, and then the car. Yeah, you you are presented and, with and they the default to your effective price. Your effective price, which is a scam, because you're going to have to pay yeah. for more. You know, your insurance is going to go up. You're you know, and especially the insurance. Your insurance is going to go up because you're getting a new car, you're getting a newer right. car, or whatever, versus your old. You know, whatever you're getting rid of. It's yeah, it's. It is it it's 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 a lot of of a lot of situations like sort of against the consumer to get them hosed essentially when they're buying a car. And you really have to you have to go in and, and say to yourself, I'm gonna slow everything down. Yes. I'm not in a hurry. Take the whole yes. day, don't go in and and be willing to walk away. Always be willing to say, you know what? I'm done. Because when you do that, that's when they find the car you said you wanted. And that's when they find the, the purchase price that you wanted. When you say, you know what, this isn't working for me. I'm going to leave. Um, that's when they, that's when you, you get think, the, you know, I think people genuinely are afraid to walk out, Roberto. I think you're right. They think if I walk away, the deal is going to get worse. I'm going to pay a higher percentage rate. I'm going to get a lesser car. It's going to be a higher sticker. I'm not going to get, I'm going to, my deal is going to get worse. No, it's not like there's so it's many always options. the other way around. It's the other way around. Don't yeah. be afraid. No matter how much you want that car, if it's not a financial deal, like, and take a deep breath. Like you said, don't go in and say, I got to buy a car in the next two hours. No, Saturday, we're going to buy a car. Yeah. Give yourself the whole day. Like so that you can walk away and say, I'm not going to get pressured into this. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, even just, you know what, I'm going to go get myself a coffee and I'll come back to you in half an hour. Like just give your brain a second to really think about what they're offering and know that they are not going to let someone who wants to buy a car today walk away without a car. They yeah. will find a car that fits your budget and that fits you. And it might not be, you know, the perfect, you might not be buying that $140,000 Mercedes, but you certainly aren't buying a $60,000 used Camry either. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that the, the, the loan debt isn't yeah. higher because the prices of used cars right now is the yeah. worst time to buy a car. Don't buy a car right now unless you absolutely positively yeah. have to. That's another thing. Unless they, your engine blows up on yeah, the side of the road, don't, don't buy one. If you have, if it's, if it's running and you think it's going to last <laughs> you in at least another 18 months, just stick with that car right now because right now is the worst possible time to buy a car. But I'm surprised that the, the auto loan debt isn't higher, didn't jump as as much as I anticipated between uh, 2019 and 2021, it just shows what's happening. it's always, yeah. Just, yeah, it just looks like it's a steady climb. Well, well, th this is, this is data um, from second quarter of this year. So last spring. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So for, not for quite, so it could actually be and worse. That was, that was be better the, numbers. The, oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah. If, if, if we were to look at it right now or at the end of the year, it, it will be significantly worse. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, know, you were saying earlier, uh, Nicole, about uh, you know that they 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 won't they won't have something to you know that that you'll get a worse deal later. In fact, it's almost always the opposite because you got to mm -hmm. thing you have to remember is car dealers they they bought those cars, they paid for them. They're in most cases they're financing those cars. They didn't pay for them with cash in most cases, unless it's a used car lot, you know, with a lot of old cheap cars. You know, they usually they're financing, they're paying interest on those cars. So it's in their interest to move that metal out, you know, and yep. they would prefer to sell you one now than later. You know, so they 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 want to get this out. If you know, if you're if you wait another day or another week, 
chances are if that car hasn't sold, you will get a better deal on it. So it, well, it's, and, you, know, you are always there's a reason. It's always to your advantage to wait. Hate, yeah, and there's a reason. Like when you walk into a dealership, they ask you right away. You know, once you want to test drive something, can I get your name? Can I get your phone number? Can I get your email? It's not because they just want to keep in touch with you because they like you. They want to make sure that if you walk away, they can call you and email you and follow up with you and Pester get you to come you. back because they want you to buy a car. So it's like they want you, they're they're going yeah. to sell. You know, they're not going to be like ah like. Yeah, we give up on her. She was here for half an hour and she's done. No, they're going to be after you like, hey, hey, hey. So we know that one didn't work out, but we got this better one at a better price or at a better this or a better that. They're going to want to sell you a car. And like, unless you need a car this instant, walk away if it's not what you want. And don't get sucked in by the bling and by the idea of a new car. Like, And don't get flustered by it. The whole goal in that office is to fluster you yeah. into just saying, yes, 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 sure, whatever. Just get me out of here. Don't let them do that. Just don't let that just, you know, be strong, people. Don't let them do that. <laughs> if, if your bank and, and if your also, bank or credit union, like, offers you the opportunity to get pre-approved, to get pre-approved yes. for financing, and yes. you can go into your bank and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about buying That's a car. I, I want to pay up to this much. If you can get it and they're like, oh, yeah, we can give it to you for, like, 4% or 3% or 3.5% or whatever – do that and have that 100%. ready because you might, if the dealer is like, oh, we can do it at 2.6%, you're like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm getting a better deal. But if they go in and they and like, well, what's the percentage rate? And they're like five, you can right there say, well, that's cool because I have this, I already have a, a loan ready to go. Yeah. I don't need you and your stinking five. <laughs> I don't need you and your five or your 14 or gosh. 19. Oof. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Some of the numbers in this article are just I don't understand those rates. Bonkers. I don't understand I don't understand. It's you poor person, whoever you are. We're really sorry. Why didn't you talk to us first? <laughs> I know. We're sorry. That's and we're I, sorry. yeah. It's, and you know they're like, oh, it's only it's this much a month, but then they spread it out over years. This insane percentage rate, probably. And so you're like, yeah. oh, I'm only paying two hundred dollars a month. Doesn't yeah, but you're paying twenty five percent APR for the next oh, twenty years. Jeez. Oh. Yeah, it, it's definitely to your to your benefit, um, especially if you're buying a used car. Most of the time, if you're buying a new car, if you can get financing through the the manufacturer's financing arm, uh, then you can you can often get a better deal there. Uh, but if you're buying a used car, you're almost always going to be better off, like you said, Robbie, going to your bank or your credit union and you know getting pre-approved. You know, look at what your budget is, how much you can afford, and say, can I get pre-approved for a $10,000 loan or a $15,000 loan? What, what's my interest rate going to be? And as you say, you walk in there and say, this is my budget. I, I want a car for this price. You know, and what can you do? Because they, you know, especially on the used car side, you know, they're working with a bunch of different lending providers. And usually the, 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 uh, the dealership is getting some, percentage back for that, you know, uh, for sending them the business, you know, they get essentially get an affiliate fee for sending that lender, um, that business. So, you know, if, uh, if you're paying 19%, there's a good chance, you know, one or 2% of that is going right back to that dealer that you bought from. Yeah. Uh, so be, be very thoughtful and, and don't rush into this stuff. It's a big purchase. Don't feel pressured. You wouldn't like yeah. buy a house on the spot because there was no other house you could buy. Don't buy a car on the spot because you think there's no other car you can buy. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the second biggest purchase most people make after their house. So, all right. Uh, let's answer a few other listener questions here. We've got, uh, let's see, we 
You hit everything else. Yeah, okay. Uh, Speedmaster on Twitter asked, uh, I remember a few years ago Ford made a big deal out of using aluminum in the F-Series to save hundreds of pounds. Why isn't this idea gaining more traction? Or is it? And I missed it. Um, well, I think, you know, <laughs> given how much of a, a big deal Ford made out of it, I don't think that you would see other manufacturers, you know, saying, hey, look, we copied Ford on the, on the F-Series. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what, what we are seeing, you know, I mean, Ford kind of went all in with aluminum bodies and beds for the F-Series. Um, but what we're seeing with a lot of manufacturers is they're using, they're using more of a mixed material approach. So we are, there is more aluminum being used. They're also using high-strength steels. And you know, deciding what materials to use where on a vehicle is, is a complex process because it depends on, you know, is it a structural component or not? Uh, you know, and, you know, when you use something like aluminum that is lighter, um, you know, it's, but it's, it's less dense, it's also not as strong. So to get the strength you need in some places, you have to actually make it thicker. So that offsets some of the weight savings, some or all of the weight savings. So what you see from most manufacturers is using a, you know, a combination of a lot of different things, using different grades of steel, different grades of aluminum, in some cases some carbon fiber or magnesium, um, all, all kinds of different things to try to get to their, their weight targets. Um, any other thoughts? No, that no makes I sense. think you're right. And I think, uh, who is it? Was it the, I can't remember the truck. What did I just drive? Was it the Tundra? I want to say they have like aluminum, but they have like cross members underneath it to give it extra support that are like, you know, steel. So mm -hmm. they like, you were talking about the combination. Others aren't going all in with just the aluminum bed, but they're coming up with ways like, how can we mix and match these materials? I think that's where they're tending to go. Because although, as far as I know, the bed is doing fine on the Ford, there's still this like, mm -hmm. ah, it's like a tin can. I can crush it beneath the heel of my foot. And so people are still a little bit nervous about how, how well it's going to hold up. I, I mean, I think they've already proved that it's well, going to be fine, you know, but. Yeah, well, well, Chevy did do a commercial a few years ago where they, they had a front end loader with a bunch of cinder blocks that they brought in and dumped the cinder blocks into uh, the bed of an F-150. And, you know, they were heavy enough that uh, it actually did tear the aluminum, the, 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 the bed of the, the aluminum bed of the, uh, the truck. Um, and then um, when, when they launched the, the new, the current Sierra, uh, GMC Sierra a couple of years ago, they reprised that ad with a video because one of the options you can get on the Sierra is um, a carbon fiber bed. Mm -hmm. And so they did that with the carbon fiber, and the, the stuff just bounced right off of it and didn't even scratch it. So, so they had us with a carbon fiber bed. They have at one of the doors, they handed us a baseball bat and they said, have at it. <laughs> and they literally were like, I'm like, really? I'm like, smack. They're like, Nicole. I'm like, oh, okay, smack. They're like, hit it like you mean it. I hit the thing as hard as I could. And there were some burly guys there that like, one guy hit it so hard, the bat snapped in half. You wouldn't even know it had touched the bed. And he wailed on it. <laughs> so those carbon fiber beds, they're something. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty tough. All right. From AJ, uh, at Gupta AJ, uh, he asks, BRZ or G86? Strictly your gut feelings. I own a BRZ. So that's... I mean, my gut feeling is that the BRZ looks better, but that's just me because I own a BRZ. <laughs> so that, could, my I gut feeling is I like the BRZ because it looks cooler, um, but it, it is really just down to what do you think looks cooler, uh, AJ, um, because it's the same car. <laughs> BRZ. GR86. I like the logo for the GR86. 
There you like go. The way they do the okay. little eighty six. There you go. I mean, I had to like okay, gut feeling. Boom. There you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll take whatever one I can get my hands on because there's oh, not enough, enough difference to to fight over. <laughs> All right. Uh, David Levine. Uh, this was actually a question that came in last week after we recorded. Um, said um, uh, This was about the, uh, the Hertz-Tesla deal. Uh, I was wondering if the equity group that now owns Hertz has a large stock position in Tesla. Um, and uh, this is a great way to manip- this would be a great way to manipulate the stock to their advantage. How many years will it take to fill the order? So I don't know. Um, mm. It's possible that there's some uh, some cross uh, ownership uh, between the Hertz uh, you know ownership group now and uh, and Tesla. You know they may own some Tesla stock, and I would frankly be surprised if they don't own some Tesla stock. A lot of people do now, um, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it would be an interesting way to manipulate the stock. Um, but, you know, in that case, it's also kind of um, kind of obvious. You know, I mean, you know, SEC knows who owns large chunks of Tesla stock. They don't know who owns Hertz. And if they were doing something like this, you know, that could be problematic and could have mm-hmm. the SEC coming after you. Um, as far as how many years it will take to fill the order – the, the announcement was that um, they expect these to be filled by the end of 2022, so a year, roughly a year. Um, and with Tesla having two new factories supposed to come online early next year, um, you know they're going to have a hell of a lot of extra production capacity that they don't have today. So they'll have plenty of uh, plenty of room to build cars for for Hertz. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that they're probably looking for deals at other rental companies to, to sell, sell cars to as well. Um, you know, this, you know, and it's funny how, when this deal was announced, everybody, you know, all the investors got all excited and they ran up the stock price again, you know, this week, uh, you know, and it's any other automaker that, that, that announced, um, you know, selling, they're selling a hundred thousand cars to a car rental agency. Um, you know, their stock would be going down because the reason why usually sales to car rental companies are low margin sales, yeah, you know, or, or no margin sales because they usually sell them to the rental companies as a last resort to, you know, get rid of excess inventory. And, you know, it's, it's possible that that's, you know, part of this deal. Another piece of this deal as well, um, is that I think that Uber is actually paying a significant chunk to get the to get Hertz to buy these cars, because Uber made an announcement last year that they wanted to have, um, and Lyft also made a similar announcement that they wanted to have their um, their drivers switch over to all electric by 2030, um, which is fine, but it's also hard for them to do because Hertz, Lyft and Uber don't own any of their vehicles. They they don't. Uh, you know, they don't operate their own fleets. They rely on drivers to bring the vehicles, but drivers can't always afford to buy cars like Teslas or, or other EVs. And so 50,000 of these 100,000 cars that Hertz ordered are actually set aside to rent to Uber drivers, you know, through their the short-term rental programs that they have. Um, and these are subsidized loans. So my guess is that Uber is actually probably paying for a significant chunk of at least those 50,000 cars. 
It's yeah. It's it, you know, there's there's a reason why you saw a lot of Nissans and rental fleets for the last couple of years because no one was buying Nissans. They just weren't doing very well as a company. Um, their cars weren't that exciting. They were just sort of long in the tooth. And yeah, so it, like seeing a bunch of Nissans in the rental fleet is like, uh. So like the Teslas in the rental fleet, you're like, okay. But then anything that happens with Tesla like uh, inflates the price, and the Tesla price is is it's it's inflated it's it shouldn't be tesla shouldn't be worth more than companies that are selling millions of cars uh regardless of how they're you know they elon says they're changing the world or whatnot but you know the stock market isn't the real world the stock market isn't the economy the stock market isn't yeah it's it's not an indicator of how the real world works (laughs) because if it was um yeah it would be a, a, a it's it's you know it's fun gambling with 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 your with your uh, it's fun gambling with your retirement. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! But those Teslas need fun. to have. I feel like those Teslas need to have. I don't know how they're if they're going to be able to pull it off. Or but when I get into a rental car, I want CarPlay or Android Auto because I don't want to like figure yeah. out how to use their. I just want to plug my phone in yeah. and go to I the place the I want to go and listen to my music or my podcast. I just want to get in. My husband literally went. When he rents a car, he because he doesn't know, I'm better equipped to know exactly which cars do and don't. He's like, this is what's in the lot. Click, 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 click. Which one of these do I take? I'm like, that one probably has it and that one probably has it. So he literally looks for cars, which one to take based on whether they have Apple CarPlay or not. Yeah, I don't. So your point is valid. If there's like a higher value car, they're offering a higher value car and a lower value car. If the higher value car doesn't have CarPlay, I'm like, no. Just because yes. I, I have places to go. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I just need four wheels, a steering wheel, and a map to tell me how to get to this place and this 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 uh, area I don't, I don't that I don't want to mess un- around trying to figure out. Yeah, I don't I don't want to learn in tune. I don't want to. Yeah, I just want to get to where I'm yeah. going to go. So it'll and it'll be interesting. Arrived, you know, you've been on a plane flight or something or whatever. You're like, I just want to get to my hotel. I just want to get to wherever I need to be. I don't want to futz around with having to figure out how to get navigation to work yeah. on this stupid thing. Let me use my Apple CarPlay. Yeah. So yeah. we'll we'll see how that how that works out. I mean, I wonder if they'll be selling like little um. Little, little, uh, you know how when you when you get a car, sometimes they try to sell you the TomTom GPS system. You're like, what, what, what year is this? We all have phones. Welcome to 1995. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still like see it pop up. Be like, would you like? I'm like, no. What? what no. And um, <laughs> so I wonder if they'll like be like uh, renting or selling little uh, phone holders, so you can just like pop your phone onto the yeah, windshield, was, so you can see, right so you can yeah. see where you're going. Like, well, I, at least I got Google Maps on my phone. And it's not that that's not a knock against Tesla's infotainment system. It's just like you know that's, which you just want to get in and, and and use something that is you're already in a in a in a weird unfamiliar car and you just want to right. have something that's familiar, in a city that you don't know or a town or country or whatever and just that's just yeah, we'll see. Yep, agreed. It probably won't happen though. We'll see. <laughs> All right. And that is all we have. Uh, any final thoughts? <sighs> no, no final thoughts. Happy Halloween. Oh, I guess everyone's going to hear this ha- after Halloween. Hope your haul was good on Halloween then. Hope you stole all the candy you wanted to steal from your kids. <laughs> <laughs> lots, lots of, hope you got lots of Reese's and Snickers, you know, full size. Right. You know, I like, value Jerry, candy. What, what's the worst candy? What's the one you hope you don't get? Um, raisins. Hope none of you got raisins. I like raisins. raisins. <laughs> what is wrong with you? There's, Who wants raisins in their candy? What? I like raisins. Just uh, even Deep as a little kid, oh. I liked raisins. Uh, but what's a bad candy? Oh, those circus Smarties. circus peanuts. Oh, Smarties are kind of a bad. No, I like one. Smarties. 
Yeah. The circus peanuts. You ever eaten a circus peanut? So, those, so basically those, those what we big need to puffy do say, like yeah. orange peanuts. They don't have any flavor. They're just big and orange and puffy. You're like, what is this thing? Okay. It's like hope you didn't styrofoam. get any circus peanuts. I hope you got Snickers and Reese's. <laughs> and if you're a lunatic like Roberto, I hope you got some raisins. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I like raisins. I don't know if I want raisins over like like sour oh, patch. Oh, now kids. he's backtracking. No, I like raisins. <laughs> if I got raisins, I wouldn't be upset. If I got like those circus peanuts, though, I'd be, I'd be sort okay. of angry. Or change Fair. or a pencil. Come on. Pencil. Sticker. <laughs> <Use> a sticker. <laughs> Unless that sticker is like, no. no they, We're, we hand out king-size candy, so we got it covered. King-size candy, oh. Reese's, Snickers, all that. Yeah, we're, the, we're that house. You. It makes my husband happy. We have to take an extra mortgage to buy it all, but, you know, it makes my husband happy. So. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> all right. On that note, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.